Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson. Uh, this week, wrapping up our little series on some silly little assassins who thought they were going to go out and change the world. Uh, this time, you know, last week we talked about uh, presidential assassins, so it was really heavily focused on United States stories. Uh, this week, we're all over the world. All right, we have three stories of people who just were trying real hard and like kind of succeeded in some ways, but you know, just really, really made a mess of it. We have, uh, the stories of Giuseppe Fischi, Gavrilo Princip and John or sorry, Eric Munter. So let's get into it. Giuseppe Fichy grew up in France, uh, worked as a shepherd uh, before joining the French army and fighting the Russians in the Napoleonic Wars. Uh, So in 1815, he and roughly a thousand other uh, soldiers, rebels, whatever, joined uh, Joachim Murat, uh, who was a formal admiral under Napoleon, uh, in an attempt to regain Murat's title as king of Naples. Uh, That uprising ended a month later when Marat captured and executed uh, King Ferdinand IV. Uh, After that, uh, you know, he kind of, you know, Fichy kind of stayed in the area, but then he ended up getting deported back to France where he served 10 years in jail for stealing a cow. Like, different times, obviously. Uh, You steal a cow now, it's probably just like, what are you doing? But back then, it's real serious. Um, so as it tends to do to people, uh, prison really changed Fichy. And upon his release, he met a guy named Pierre Mori, who um, had been serving prison time for plotting to assassinate the Bourbons, uh, a royal family in the Navarre region of France. And just, you know, side note, fun fact, um, not only do I can I trace my lineage back to the Bourbon family, but that is also um, kind of how the uh, whiskey got its name, Bourbon whiskey. They, you know, they were French. Um, they had some of their, I think, relatives ended up immigrating to New Orleans, obviously very French area. Uh, whiskey kind of started bubbling up there. Then they had, you know, it, it eventually got to because I don't know the actual story, but all that is actually connected. I'm sure when you heard the name, you wondered. So I'm just, I'm, I'm scratching that itch for you. Um, for whatever reason though, uh, Pierre Mori was intent on trying to assassinate King Louis Philippe from power, even though, uh, Mori himself had participated in the July revolution that had put Philippe in power, uh, the year before. So Maury teamed up, teamed up with this guy named Theodore Pepin, who was a leader of uh, this French Republican Association and came up with a plan to assassinate this king. Uh, the most logical way to do that was to shoot him, right? It's pretty simple. You don't have to be super sneaky. You just do it, right? But why just use one gun when you can tape 25 guns together and create this super weapon? Now, 
Fishy, this is where he comes in. He, at this point, was completely broke. He needed some friends. And he was also still really mad about having to spend a decade in jail for stealing a cow. I get that. So Maury and Pepin got uh, went over to Fishy and was just like, hey, want you to take all 25 of these guns and just kind of connect them and put them together and create this giant mega gun. And he did it. Upon completion, this gun was then placed on the third floor of an apartment overlooking Boulevard du Tempel. Uh, that was a pretty solid French accent, by the way, um, which was along this expected route that the king was going to be taking on his annual review of the Paris National Guard. And on July 28th, 1835, just as they thought, the king walked down the boulevard with his with his three sons and a host of senior officers. Fichy, he was up there in the apartment with his super gun, and he had loaded 24 of the 25 barrels each with eight bullets and 20 buckshot, all right? When the king then walked into range, Fishi fired, I guess, the, the master trigger to then fire all of the guns simultaneously. Now, obviously, this did not go well for anybody, all right? So for starters, only 17 of the 24 barrels fired, which sent out about 400 bullets. So, I mean, like... Not 100% successful, but pretty successful, given this very amateur rigging that got that took place. Uh, four of the gun barrels just didn't fire at all, and another four barrels exploded, which caused all sorts of damage, mostly to uh, Fishi's face. Uh, down on the street, 18 people were killed. And 22 others were injured, uh, including the king who had uh, buckshot actually ended up grazing his forehead. But, you know, he's the king. He just kept on going. And I find this funny. It's like there's so many mass shootings. One probably happened today. And, you know, it's funny. Like we act like, oh, this is an American phenomenon. There's been so many. And it's like, here's a mass shooting right here in 1835. Granted, it was basically one shot from like this giant mega gun, but like mass shootings always been happening apparently since the invention of guns. So that's, I, th- I thought that was fun. Um, Fishy, uh, was pretty much lying unconscious in the apartment. He was easily captured. And since he hadn't been killed on the spot in the weird way, like, like the guards and the, and the police that came to get him, like just kind of took him away. Like Fishy thought they were going to bust in and just kill him right there. But when they did it, Fishy thought that the King wanted to be like best friends with him. And so at his trial, Fishy named his accomplices and then, um, made just a complete idiot of himself by basically just assuming he was going to get a full Royal pardon. Um, to his surprise, he was guillotined on February 19th, 1836 with Maury and Pepin. Um, our next story here, uh, you've probably heard this story in some way, but just how everything went down is, is crazy. Um, Gavrilo Princip was born on July 25th, 1894 in a remote village in what is now modern day Bosnia and Herzegovina. Uh, six of his eight siblings died in infancy, which is just like it was kind of the average for poor European families in the 1800s. 
Um, despite the early hardships, Gavrilo found success in school and then later moved to Sarajevo to live with his brother and attend some more prestigious schools. Uh, in 1911, Gavrilo joined Young Bosnia, which was a social club that aimed to separate Bosnia from uh, Austria-Hungary and then unite it with Serbia, which was kind of the geographical uh, situation at the time. However, local authorities prohibited the formation of social clubs and organizations, so Gavrilo and his friends met in secret, which is never the start of anything good in history. Um when he was expelled from school following the year after a demonstration against the Austro-Hungarian government, Gavrilo just walked over 150 miles to Belgrade and volunteered to join Serbian guerrilla fighters who were currently engaged in conflicts with the Ottoman Turks. However, because Gavrilo was really small, really frail, just not the healthiest looking dude, he was rejected by the Serbian leaders. Like They, had, they really wanted nothing to do with him. So he spent the next several months going back and forth between Sarajevo and Belgrade, training with combat knives and bombs as part of the Serbian Chetnik organization, which was this small revolutionary group um, who wanted to liberate Serbia from the Ottoman Empire. So basically this dude, this dude just wants to fight and he is, he wants to do everything he can to, um, take you know to help the serbs which are all over this region i mean obviously he's one of them um you know the bosnians the serbians and and help them get independence and and at this time they're just always under someone else's control whether it's austro austria hungary the ottoman empire whatever it is um, in 1913, Austria-Hungary declared a state of emergency and martial law outlying any and all Serbian cultural organizations. And at that point, Gavrilo knew what he had to do. Um, on June 28th, 1914, Australian Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife, Duchess Sophie Chotek, arrived in Sarajevo under orders from his uncle, Emperor Franz Joseph, to oversee all military training operations in Bosnia. Uh, Gavrilo and five other conspirators lined the Apple Quay, which was the main street that was carrying uh, the Archduke's motorcade through Sarajevo. Uh, each conspirator had his own set of instructions on how to assassinate the Archduke as he went by, as well as a cyanide pill to take uh, once they were done. So they didn't have to get captured, tortured, murdered, all that kind of stuff themselves. So like each one has their own unique way that they're going to carry out the assassination. These six people, Gavrilo being one of them. And then they also have a cyanide pill that they are supposed to take once they carry it out. So everything go, you know, everything's done. So none of this goes well at all. The first man up was this guy named Mohammed Mehedbesic, Mehedbesic, Mohammed Mehmed Besic. There we go. You got to get the accent to get it right. Um, however, because there was a policeman standing right behind him um, at his position where he was going to carry out the attack, Mohammed chickened out and just decided to uh, to not throw the bomb that he had at the motorcade out of fear of getting caught. And he wouldn't have time to take the cyanide pill and die. Um, the second conspirator also failed to act. So the third guy up was Nedelchiko Kabrinovic. It nailed it. Um, he threw a grenade at the Archduke's car. So he's got he he sets the th everything in motion. Um, the driver of the car, however, saw the grenade flying at the windshield, knew exactly what it was, which is crazy because it's a grenade. It's pretty small. 
and he speeds off. All right. Everyone knows something's going on. The motorcade speeds off. Uh, the grenade, which had a 10 second timer ended up exploding under the fourth car in the six car perception, uh, wounding two of the occupants inside the car and dozens of other spectators that were lining on the street, but it wasn't the archduke. Um, so Kabrinovich, uh, realizing he had missed his opportunity, he takes his cyanide pill and just kind of waits to die. However, unfortunately the cyanide pill had expired. And it just made him really sick. <laughs> so he realizes this. And so he quickly formulates a backup plan and jumps into the uh, nearby Miljaka River to drown. However, that didn't work either because the river was only four inches deep. <laughs> that's, that's, just, that's just so funny to me. You know, he throws his grenade. Oh, no. They, it did not it did not detonate they're gone i must take my peel for mother serbia or whatever takes it bleh, throws up everywhere oh no i not die i must drown jump into river splat just splat because it's four inches like you're not drowning in four inches of water um so he was quickly captured he was taken off to jail um while all that's going on chaos has erupted all right and Gavrilo and the remaining conspirators, uh, the other two conspirators, realized they had lost their chance, and so they run off. And once everything had settled down and the, and everything's calm, the Archduke uh, decided to go to the hospital in Sarajevo to visit those who were wounded by the earlier grenade uh, grenade attack. Uh, General Oscar Patirek, who was overseeing the Archduke's visit, decided that the royal car should just drive along the Apple Quay straight to the hospital out in plain view of everybody, which doesn't seem like a, but this dude, uh, Pretoriak forgot to inform the Royal driver of the Royal car who was really smart. So instead the driver took a, took a right turn on Franz Joseph street, which was out of the way of everyone, but also just so happened to be where Gavrilo was hanging out as a, at a cafe. So dude can't believe his luck. Like he gets a second chance at this. Um, he also couldn't believe it when the Royal car stopped, tried to back up and then stalled out right in front of him. Like just placed right in his lap. Cannot be more fortunate as an assassin. And so seeing as this was going to be his only other chance, Gavrilo grabbed his pistol, walked up to the car and fired two shots. The first one hit the Archduke in the neck. The second shot hit the Duchess in the abdomen. Both of them died a few minutes later. Um, obviously, this was the catalyst for the start of World War One, And it was pure coincidence that all of this happened, right? And here's the thing. Having completed his mission, Gavrilo then popped his cyanide pill. But guess what? It was also expired but he had a gun he had some extra bullets and so but just as he was about to shoot himself police had already swarmed on him wrestled the gun away and sent him off to jail um because he was only 19 years old though at the time he's still really young gavrilo did not qualify for life in prison instead he was actually given the maximum sentence that someone could receive at the time of 20 years um and he was going to just be released. And that was going to be the end of it. However, due to poor prison conditions, Gavrilo ended up dying three years later from tuberculosis. So, 
Our final story here is of Eric Munter, who was a German professor, um, both like he was a German person and he taught German. I, I, don't, I feel like I need to clarify that. Um, at Harvard University, when he was bitten by a radioactive lab rat and then immediately went insane. Now, probably not true, but for some reason that no one really understands, at some point in 1906, Munter just turned evil, right? He poisoned his pregnant wife, Leona, with arsenic because that stuff used to be like super easy to get. Um, he also mailed a pamphlet to his dead wife's family in New Orleans claiming that he would, quote, annihilate Chicago and Cambridge for having the audacity to accuse him of doing the thing he definitely did. So for some reason, like papers in Chicago and uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, um, they they had already issued a warrant for his arrest and he had fled. And he tells his in-laws, his former in-laws really at this point, like how dare Chicago and Cambridge accuse me of poisoning my wife. Did I do it? Absolutely did. A hundred percent did that. But who are they to accuse me of that? Right? So after spending some time in Mexico and Texas, Munter got remarried, changed his name to Frank Holt, and then got a job at Cornell university in 1915 teaching German because, uh, even Ivy league schools didn't have much of a vetting process back then. Um, by now world war one had begun and Munter wasn't happy about America fighting against his German homeland. Um, he decided that it was then up to him to single-handedly convince America to stay out of the war and do all kinds of just like low key supervillain stuff to prevent America from supplying weapons to the allies. So dude is completely unhinged. You know, he's this German immigrant in Germany is the bad guy in world war one mostly um along with like like the ottoman empire and austria hungary and stuff like that i think but um munzer he's just like you know i don't i don't want he has a german accent now i don't want this country even though i hate it to fight my home country so i must i must do everything i can to prevent the United States from getting involved in World War I, right? So, on July 2nd of 1915, also, I don't want to gloss over the fact that dude would just, like, had no resume, couldn't have had a resume unless he faked it, and just walks on to Cornell University and gets a job as a professor. Like, has already changed his name, <laughs> and he just, he just gets a job as, I don't know, it's, it's pretty crazy to me. Um... On July 2nd, 1915, Munter stuffed three sticks of dynamite inside a small package under a telephone switchboard in the Senate reception room at the Capitol building. Um, Apparently, this was just when anyone could walk right into the Capitol building because his original target was the actual Senate chamber. But when he got in, he discovered that the doors were locked, so he just settled for the reception room. Um, But... Because Munter, he's still pretty bad at terrorism at this point. The bomb exploded at 11.40 p.m. when nobody was around to get hurt by this bomb. So after bombing the Capitol, Munter traveled to New York City and hid a pencil bomb on the SS Minnehaha, 
which was loaded with ammunition that the United States was supplying to Great Britain. He then made his way to J.P. Morgan's estate in Glen Cove, New York. You know J.P. Morgan, the giant bank? Um, J.P. Morgan Jr., who now occupied the estate, sent over a considerable, uh, had been sending over a considerable amount of money to Britain in order to defeat the Germans. And Munter knew about this, and that, in his mind, made J.P. Morgan Jr. his arch nemesis. All right, he is the Penguin to his Batman, or some other superhero reference. Um, so Munzer, carrying a suitcase full of dynamite and two revolvers, knocked on the door uh, of this giant estate and probably just like giggling kind of maniacally to himself. And Morgan's butler answered and Morgan, Munzer just requested to see Morgan, just like fully expecting like the butler was just going to be like, yeah, sure, buddy, come on in. Um, when the butler, the butler then asked Munzer, why he needed to see Morgan, which was apparently a question that Munter was not prepared for. And when Munter couldn't come up with a good reason, he pulled out his revolvers and just stormed right into the house. Uh, he immediately ran into Morgan's children and took them hostage. And as Morgan's wife blocked the doorway to the room where Morgan was allegedly located, Morgan just busts out of the shadows and tackles Munter to the ground. Like crazy action sequence here. In the struggle for the revolvers, Morgan was actually shot twice in the leg, but eventually the revolvers were wrestled away and Munter was subdued until the police arrived to arrest him. Uh, During the interrogation, Munter admitted that his original plan, which clearly didn't work out, was to take Morgan's entire family hostage and keep them until Morgan agreed to stop financing the war effort. Uh, police then connected him to the Capitol bombing and his wife's poisoning. Um, they then tracked down a trunk in New York City that the inspector of combustibles, a guy named Owen Egan, claimed was the greatest equipment for bomb making ever brought to New York. Unfortunately, it just wasn't ever made. Um, the trunk included over 130 sticks of dynamite, coils, batteries, nitric acid, mercury fulminate, smokeless explosive powder, and other bomb-making materials. Uh, three tin-can bombs had already been assembled by the time police uncovered the trunk, and so Munter was probably going to go back, finish making up all the bombs, and start planting them everywhere. Uh, on July 5th, Munter tried to commit suicide in his cell by slashing his wrists with the tiny, uh, metal ring that connects a pencil to its eraser. Um, when that didn't work, because why would it, uh, he ran out of an open door and jumped headfirst onto the concrete floor 20 feet below. Um, two days later, as one last attempt, uh, I think that fall did kill him by the way. Um, but two days later, as one last attempt to be the worst supervillain ever, the pencil bomb, remember that, that he had placed on the Minnehaha actually ended up exploding. Unfortunately for Munter, he had placed the bomb in the general cargo area of the ship rather than uh, the area where all the ammunition was stored, which is where he was trying to put it in the first place. Um, although the bomb caused a small fire, no one was hurt. The ship kept going and Eric Munter, uh, just his story faded into history. All right, so that series is over. Um, just, you know, it's interesting how 
especially with uh you know Gavrilo Princip's story you know we all kind of probably know that like oh World War One started when Archduke Franz Ferdinand uh was assassinated but like just everything that went wrong and then just how lucky the dude was that the car just stopped right in front of him so that he could get a second chance. It's just, it's, it's really interesting to see. And I think it's, it's stuff that uh, a lot of people get, get uh, looked over. So other than that, let's see what we learned today. What did we learn? Number one, apparently you could get jailed for 10 years for stealing a cow. Who knew? Uh, Number two, look, if you're going to perpetrate a mass shooting, all right, don't tape all of your guns together and then just try to make like one giant gun to shoot all of your bullets at once. It's not going to end well. That's just not... It's, I mean, like gun technology now has probably improved to where like you could probably get away with it. I just, I just, I don't recommend it. Like just, if you're going to do it, just one gun at a time. I think, I think that's probably the way to go. I, I'm not endorsing, I'm not endorsing mass shootings. I'm just trying to think logically about like the best way. Best is probably best is not the right word. You get what I'm saying. Anyway, uh, number three, Eric Munzer just thought that he could uh, assassinate JP Morgan and prevent America from getting into world war one. And obviously that didn't work either. Next week on our weird world, uh, this is going to be a fun episode. We're going to look at um, some weird pranks that got pulled uh, over the course of history. Um, I'll have three stories. Uh, First will be the, there is a historical account of the first ever mooning. You know, mooning when you just show your bear took us to whoever your victim is, right? That is a historical fact that, or at least I have the first recorded moment in history where that took place um we'll also look at the story of a prank pulled by a guy named filippo brunischelli or uh, brunelleschi that's what it is brunelleschi um and then also uh, a story that uh took place in boston uh, by a news outlet that did not go well at all so that'll be a fun episode and then we will jump into serial killer september so uh, i'll preview that month at the end of next week's episode but otherwise really looking forward to it and that is going to do it for us this week thank you for continuing to listen keep telling all your friends and keep it weird 